This week, we have a special message from our student ministries pastor, Dave Cox, and it's entitled, How to Study the Bible. The Bible beats out uh, everything else. It's a bestseller. Last year, 500 million copies, over 500 million copies were sold. It's huge. What's the most stolen book in the world? The Bible. What? I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even approach that one. So, but all I know is that the Bible's out there. The Bible's are, they're everywhere. Now, a lot of times people will turn to the Bible, even if they don't read it regularly, because they're looking for answers. They want something to hold on to. Uh, if they have a question, like, what, what's love? Or what about wisdom? Uh, how do I get some more? I need some power in my life to overcome something. Uh, I have all this guilt. What do I do with it? Uh, my finances are falling apart. Does the Bible say anything about it? And so people will often grab the Bible and turn to it. What I did this week, I, I paid attention to questions people were asking. Because when we have questions in life, we've got to turn somewhere. Uh, these are some of the questions that I was asked this week. People wanting some biblical perspective for real questions. Early in the week, this was Monday. Uh, this guy is not even 30 years old. His question is it okay not to continue the cancer treatments? Uh, next day, uh, what's the deal with custody issues? Can Christians go to court? What's that all about? Uh, question, what's, what's the husband's role in the home? What's the wife's role in the home? Good question. Um, how do you know when God is calling you to serve? Uh, what do I do with my kid who's just making bad decisions? Does the Bible say anything about that? Um, what are the biblical standards for people who uh, are life group leaders, volunteer leaders in the church, shepherding? Are there any standards? What are those? Uh, big questions, eternal questions. Who's going to win American Idol? You know? <laughs> um, now, even though people have Bibles, they've got them out there, um, getting, going to the Bible, it's not necessarily automatic. You just open it up and boom, oh, there, there's exactly what I was needing or looking for. Um, that's why we're approaching today's message, how to study the Bible, because we need it a lot. Now, even that word study just has bad connotation. Uh, a lot of people say, uh-uh, I don't like to study. So don't even, <laughs> this is a message I would not want to be in. But it shouldn't intimidate you. I, I'm convinced. After, after this message, if you've never had any instruction on how to open the Bible and get what God's saying out of it, you're going to walk out of here today very confident that you could open the Bible and get what it was really trying to say, come across with, and go home with a sense of how to even see what God has for you. So you've got to pay attention a little bit today. In fact, I've packed your outline. And the reason I did that is uh, so you could have something you keep in your Bible. Um, you could write some of these things in the front of your Bible because when you're on your own studying, sometimes you need a few little tips and helps. So there's a couple places on the outline. There's these big lists. I'm not going uh, going to be talking real long about those things. A lot of these I'm just going to list off pretty quickly, but they're going to help you a lot. So a couple quick things before we get started. First is this. Um, let go of your fears. Let go of your fears. A lot of people get intimidated by the Bible. Look at this. All these pages. Uh, there's no pictures. <laughs> Best I do is books on tape. <laughs> I don't think I can do this. Yes, you can. It's, it's really, it's, it's not that complicated. In fact, you know that God, when he communicated, it was always for the common people. When he gave the Ten Commandments, when he gave the law, that was for the common people. When he picked disciples to be the leaders, first leaders of the first church, and uh, as you read through the New Testament, common people, totally dedicated and given to God, but common people. 
when the New Testament was written, it was written in the language of the marketplace called Koine Greek. It's not the Greek of Plato and philosophers, a high Greek. It's the common language of the people because God's heart was always that everybody has free access to his word. So let go of your fears. Secondly, I'd say get ready to think. Uh, You've got to use your brain a little bit. Like I said, it's not automatic. I love what Albert Einstein said. He says, thinking's hard work. Well, that's why so few people do it. He's right. Um, so just know, it's going to be pretty straightforward, but you've got to just understand uh, there's a logical way it's kind of laid out, so you've got to have your brain turned on as you go to it, and you'll see more of that as we, as we go through the message. The third thing, read it like any other book. Read it like any other book. Um, why do I say that? Well, we have this weird notion, a lot of times when we come to the Bible, it's like the fortune cookie. You open it up, man, I need something now. I'm going to open it up and whatever verse God gives me, that's my word for the day. <laughs> that's, you know, that is ridic- it's ridiculous. You've got to be really careful. Because you could take any sentence, any phrase from any book, whether it's the Bible or any book, and kind of apply it and make it say what you want it to say. Our job when we come to the Bible is to see what God is saying. That's our first objective when we go there. So in one sense, it's not like any other book because 2 Peter 1.21 says it is supernatural in origin that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It means these guys, they were inspired as they wrote it. But it doesn't mean that, uh, that they weren't part of this process, but God was inspiring as they wrote. But even as you read the Bible, there's over 40 different authors, you're going to see the different personalities of the different people who contributed to it. Those don't go away because God inspired them. It's fascinating. And there's all kinds of literature in the Bible. There's poetry, prophecy, parables, little stories. There's parts of history. Um, Anyway, it just goes on and on. So there's a lot of different flavors in there. But you just got to be aware. So just our goal when we come to this is to really follow the train of thought of the people who wrote it. Because then what you're getting in that is God's heart. So just like you would never pick up a newspaper and just start somewhere in the middle of a paragraph, start reading, you know, it'll take you a little while. You ever turned on a TV show in the middle? Now, you'll get what's going on. It's just got to do a little detective work. And then you, oh, okay, now I get it. Okay, he's the bad guy, that's a good guy. She's in love with him. Okay, now I got it. And you can do the same kinds of thing when you read the Bible, but the best thing to do is really start at the beginning of a book or a section and really follow the train of thought of the authors. Another quick tip as we get started um, use the right tools. Use the right tools. Every occupation has tools that they use, whether you're a plumber, you're a mechanic, uh, you're a network manager. Um, when I'm out working as a cop, if someone pulls a gun, trust me, I'm not pulling a biblical commentary out at that point. Uh, you have different tools for those situations. Now, when I'm doing a Bible study, or you're doing a Bible study, there's some easy tools that you guys could grab it. Uh, any Christian bookstore. I'm going to just show you a couple, briefly, just so you can have an idea. If I'd say you get one thing, make sure you have one thing. It's a study Bible. NIV study Bible. This is a rivalry study Bible. I would just recommend one. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Before every book, it has this little intro section that tells you about the book, who wrote it, what was going on. So you have a lot of context before you even start reading. Excellent. Um, Inside study Bibles, in the middle column, you're going to see all these little verses written in small print next to other verses. Well, that's, those are called cross-references. That means if you want to follow, hey, what's that, is that topic talked about somewhere else? Yeah, and, and it tells you where to go and turn it. So you can be a little detective on your own and just do your own Bible study. It's fascinating. 
It even has little notes at the bottom. It's like carrying a mini pastor around with you. You know, give you comment, commentate on these different things. And in the back, it has something called a concordance. So if you want to look up a word, for example, here's patience. What's the Bible say about patience? Well, you can go and I'll give you a lot of verses on that. And you can start doing a Bible study out of that. So study Bible, I'd say if you don't have one, get one of these things. They're great. Another one I would say to get is, this is, it's called a parallel Bible. Parallel Bibles are Bibles where they have a couple different translations in them. So you could read side by side. It's a great tool. Some of them have up to four translations. This is two. This is the NIV and the Message translation. So it's a great, a great kind of thing to have and hold on to. They have Bible dictionaries. You want to know who, what, when, or what are these things. You can look up a name, a place, a person, and Bible dictionaries are helpful. Systematic theology. Well, that doesn't sound fun, does it? Uh-uh. No, really, it's actually okay. Don't freak out by these things. Uh, ignore the title. Bad title. But all it is, if you want to follow a, a topic of Scripture, and this is about who God is, theology, you could grab one of these things, and it, it, it will, in a concise way, put, put it all together and talk about it a little bit more. It's a great resource to have. So those are some great things I would say. You know, there's some great tools um, if you want some more information or which ones to get, put it on your keep in touch card and I'll send an email out to you this week with some recommendations for you. And the last thing I'd say as far as a quick tip is ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. This is supernatural. Um, in 1 Corinthians, which is what we're going to be studying starting next week, the great scripture in chapter 2, it says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now what, what I'm saying here is that, or what scriptures really points out, that there's a supernatural element when you study the Bible. It's two-way conversation. It doesn't mean that someone who doesn't know the Lord cannot logically follow the train of thought, the lines of logic, get the kind of the point of what it's saying, but there's something different when a believer comes to it. There's a different kind of experience. It would be one thing for me to explain what a sunset looks like on the beaches of Kauai. Well, it's another thing to see the sunset on the beaches of Kauai. I did that last year. I love that example. It's a good memory. Um, But do you you see what I'm saying? Um, You can try and tell someone what it's like to be married, but once you're married, there's a different experience in that. There's a zillion examples. So the Holy Spirit's work in this is huge. So, how do you study the Bible? In your outline, you're going to see there's three things, three main points. The first two points, I'm going to kind of fly through these things because we're going to camp on the third point, which is the, really the specifics of how do you actually do this thing. But here's the first one. How do you study the Bible? I must accept its authority. I must accept its authority. In Thessalonians, it talks about, he was affirming them because it says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but actually as it is. The Word of God, which is at work in those of you who believe. See, it underlines that part where it's supernatural. God's got to be illuminating this for believers. There's different quality with it. Um, a lot of time, the reason we need this message so much is because when we're asking for questions in, to be answered in life or we're making decisions in life, we all fall back on something. Um, a lot of times what we will fall back on is either, hey, what's our experience like or, um, or what am I feeling about this and we're going to make a decision based on that. Uh, have you, do you guys ever watch like a suspense movie or a scary movie 
And you ever notice, like, things have been happening bad through this whole movie, but they see a shadow outside, they hear a sound, and what do they do? I'm going to go check that out. You know, do they bring anybody else? No. Do they call the police? No. Do they get killed? Yes. Uh, uh, We've seen it a thousand times. Now, even though they've known things are happening, it's a great illustration that even just because you've had experience doesn't mean you're going to make the right decision. Uh, If you've gotten a ticket, uh, you'll probably slow down for a little while, but pretty soon... Start speeding up again until you get your next one. Um, we don't always learn best by experiences. And this was a problem in the Corinthian church. That's why we're going to hit it next week. They had some amazing supernatural experiences with God. They had amazing worship experience, powerful experiences at church. But they didn't have the grounding of knowing God's word. So they still went off course. So if you don't have the Bible as your authority, and your feelings are your authority, or your experiences are your authority... You're going to be all over the place. We need this. Huge. Uh, Feelings are everywhere. Um, There's a scripture in Jeremiah 17. It says, be careful. The heart is wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Deceitful means it'll trick you. Um, Sometimes we think what's right isn't necessarily the right thing to do. So we have to have something as a standard to test it with. Does that make sense? So that's why we have our Bible. It's a really, really big thing. Um, Second. How do you study the Bible? I must use a good translation. I must use a good translation. Now, all the translations of the Bible, there's strengths and weaknesses to all of them. Um, you, the bi- biggest thing is you want to make sure it's readable and it's accurate. It's a big deal. Um, now, do you understand how this works? The original Bible was not written in English. Okay, um, it wasn't, There's several languages involved. And so whenever you're translating from one language to another, there's some challenges you always got to face, and every translator has to decide, what's your philosophy of how you're going to approach it? So I'm going to break it down in the the simplest way that I can. Some translations, like this would be the New American Standard, NASB, or the King James Version, they want to take word for word. This word, make that word into English. This word to English. This word to English. So word for word. The drawback is, is that sometimes it creates more distance than it was ever originally intended to do. For example, if in Spanish you said Casablanca, and if you're talking about the White House, uh, and if it was translated, it would say House White instead of White House. So it doesn't need to be like that, but that's, a, that's kind of an idea of what, it, what can happen. So there could be awkward readings in it that were never intended to be there. So very accurate, but awkward. So you've got to do a little thinking on your own to kind of figure some of the stuff out or look in the notes and things. There's another kind of translation that says, no, it's not going to be word for word. We're going to approach it more thought for thought, where they'll try to take some of those little nuances and make them like in the right order or or do things a little different. That would be like an NIV. That's why we use NIV. It's a very accurate translation. um, Very good. It takes a thought for thought approach. Um, Then there's another side that goes farther this way, which is what we call a free translation. That would be like a living Bible. The message translation. The thought behind the message translation is that even when you go thought for thought, you're not necessarily going to get the same emotional impact that the original people had when they read it. That's why they'll kind of make nuances or phrases that we would currently use to try and create the same emotional impact, which are not necessarily accurate to the text, but trying to be accurate to the feeling. And sometimes they can be a little off on that stuff, but the heart behind it is we want you to feel like what they felt. So if you ever see a word like pancake or flashlight, you're like, uh-uh, what? They didn't have pancakes then, or they didn't have a flashlight they're walking around with. But that's the idea behind it. So 
what I would say is the best thing to do when you're reading the Bible is maybe get, I, I have, that's why those parallel Bibles are great, you can get a couple different translations. And if I'd recommend, if, you, if, you're, if it's a key translation that you primarily use, I'd say get an NIV or get a New Living Translation. Those are two excellent translations, uh, very accurate, um, but no one translation is, is necessarily the best as it stands on its own. It's good to have a couple of them. Does that help you a little bit? The one I'd say probably I would least recommend would be the King James Version, just because it's, the language is so outdated. And secondly, when it was using text, it didn't use the oldest and best manuscripts. So there's some little nuances and things that haven't been caught. It's not a bad translation. I just say, would say it's, it's, it's not the best one to choose. So make sure the Bible's your authority. Use a good translation. And here's the good stuff as we go in here. This is huge. If you walk away with anything today, you've got to catch this part. I must ask the right questions in the right order. When you come to study the Bible, you have to ask the right questions in the right order. Did any of you ever get a Cinnabon when you go to the mall? You see those things? Oh, those are so good. Uh, my wife and I occasionally get one of those things. And what, you know, what is the best bite on a Cinnabon? Oh yeah, the middle. Yeah, we all know that. Uh, some people try and eat faster so they can get to that bite. I hate that. Uh, so my wife and I, we do this thing where we, you know, we'll save the middle bite and we cut it in half. We each have it. And, you know, you save it. And you've got to kind of work your way into that middle bite. And it's this last yummy, nummy bite. So you've got it right there. But you've got to work your way to it. Now, you could just go in there and dig out the middle and be really irritating and, you know, kind of ruins the whole Cinnabon experience. So you've got to do it in the right order. So what, like when you come to the Bible... there's something that we could be really tempted to do. We're going to the Bible for answers. We need some application. So we want to open up the Bible and find out, what's God saying for me today? You ever been like that? I need something right now. You open it up, and whatever you read, that's for me for today. That's okay. But you cannot ask the question, what is it saying to me, unless you ask two other questions first. And that's what you're going to learn today. If you don't ask these other two questions first your application could be totally off. You could be thinking God's saying something that he's never meant to say. So this is so simple. If you can ask three questions, you can study the Bible. Um, The first question is this. What does it say? What's the Bible say? This is a question of observation. Um, What's that show? Dragnet. You ever seen Dragnet? Just the facts, ma'am. You're looking for straight facts. Uh, it's like on a police report. They don't, police officers don't put all their feelings in it. You know, I felt like this when I came there. I was thinking it was probably like, you know, it's just they want straight facts. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Those are the basic questions. And you're only pulling the answers to the questions from what's specifically in the text. Okay, so you're not making assumptions, you're not doing that stuff. You start by just saying, what's it actually saying? Now, how does this really work out in life? Let's say you're reading through the book of Philippians. What I would say, if you've never read it, don't just jump to Philippians chapter 3 and start reading. No, no, start at Philippians chapter 1. It's a short little book. You read it in probably 10, 15 minutes. Just read it straight through like a letter. You're never going to get a letter that's sent to you and start with a third paragraph, right? So just read it like you would anything else. Start from the beginning and go through it. And you're just trying to get big picture. Um, If you read through once or twice, you're going to go, oh, I get what's kind of going on right now. 
to have introductory notes and stuff, those will help you too. But you're going big picture. You're trying to find out what is going on as you read through it. Um, And you'll become better and better at observations as you do this. It's like a cop on the street. When you're first out there, um, you know, you don't catch everything, but if you're with a seasoned officer who's been doing this for a while, man, they pick up on things. And pretty soon you become a much better observer about things that are going on. The same is with the Bible. Just be really, you're putting your little detective cap on and you're just paying attention. So you're looking just for the straight facts as you go through it. That's why when you're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians that we're going to be doing, you'll find out, oh, there were Gentiles. Oh, there's also Jews there too. So we've kind of two audiences. Uh, You'll find out they talked a lot about love and wisdom. But at the same time, they were attacking Paul who was writing this letter. Ooh, that's a weird dynamic. Interesting. Pay attention to that. Um, Anyway, I could go on and on. But as you go through it, you're just trying to figure out who wrote this thing, why did they write it according to the text, um, who are they writing it to, what issues were going on, who, what, when, where, why, how. Those are your basic questions. Make sense? So the first question is, what does it say? You with me? What's the first question? What is it? That's observation. Second question, what does it mean? This is the interpretation question. What does it mean? Here's your key concept. This is the word called context. What's the context? Now, we hear that a lot. You'll hear a politician or an athlete say, "Uh uh-uh, that quote was taken out of context. Um, As a youth pastor, I've seen some students, they're just like out of control. Something's going on with these students. Then you go to their house, then you meet the parents. Ah, now I have the context. Now I know what's wrong with that student. Um, We use context all the time, don't you? the more you see uh, about something, it gives you a better idea of what's going in there. And we need that a lot because some of what was written was written a long time ago. So you don't know the culture that was going on. You know, they'll make a nuance or a hint at something or talk about a temple. And we hear temple and we don't think anything bad. But some temples back then, I'm, it, there's just some of the most brutal crimes taking place at those temples. So it, there's a lot more emotion that they felt. A lot more images in their minds that would never be in our mind. That's why we have to really start taking a look at context and figuring these things out. An example is like in Philippians 4.13, it's a scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Well, what's that mean? Does that mean you can be the most successful businessman that ever was? Does this mean that you can be guaranteed to win the gold medal and go into the Olympics if you really want to do it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that what that verse is teaching? Well, you don't know until you read, get more of the context of it. See, that verse can almost say anything, but you want to find out what is it really saying. You've got to go to context. Um, an example, uh, just in everyday English. If I just gave you, throughout a word, like the word trunk, what's the word trunk? What am I referring to? Car. Okay, someone said, yeah, it's the trunk of your car, right? Well, no, what if I'm talking about a trunk that I pack stuff in in my house? What about a tree? Couldn't it be a tree trunk? Oh, elephant. Yeah, it could be the elephant. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So I need to see some more. You've got to help me out here. Give me a little backup. So there's a real simple way of doing this, um, figuring out what something actually means. And it's, it's really easy. The simplest way, you're looking at what happened before and after this sentence or that phrase, that word or the thought or the concept. That's what you're doing. Uh, to pound this into our brains, when going through seminary, we would take a book of the Bible um, and... Uh, and the prophet would say, okay, that's what I want you to do. Here's the book of Daniel. I want you to read the book of Daniel through a couple times. 
Next time I want you to go through it, you're going to read each paragraph in the book of Daniel, and I want you to write a one-sentence summary for each paragraph. Oh, really? Yeah, so you've got to go through it, and it's this long process. So it takes a while, and you're summarizing. Once you have all those sentences down, then you look at all the sentences and find out groupings of thoughts and make a one-sentence summary out of those. So you break it down. Now you look at those sentences, break it down even more. What's a su- All the way down to one sentence that's a basic summary of the Bible, or that book. Now what it's forcing you to do is follow the train of thought of the author. What's the big point that they were trying to get across? Because context is everything. Now when you go to the Bible, you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, but what you want to do, it's, it's basically you're like peeling back layer by layer, and you'll get a little bit more information with each one. Um, the first thing, do you see in your outline where it's got like seven little blanks right there? These are the layers. I'm just going to list them off pretty quick. You'll see how easy this is. The first thing, just write down sentence. That's the first layer you're looking at. For example, the word trunk. Um, he lost his keys. He thinks he locked them in the trunk. Oh, now you know what it's talking about, right? A sentence is going to give you a lot of help to say, oh, well, that's what that word's referring to. So the first place is you look at the sentence. The next place you look is the paragraph. Is there anything else in that paragraph that's hinting towards what's being talked about? The next layer outside of the paragraph, and let me just pause. On the paragraph, if you use an NASB Bible, it could be a little hard to do this because they don't keep the chapter breaks in there. It's each verse stands alone, so it's a little tricky. That's why you want to have another translation to probably help you out with it. But anyway, sentence, paragraph. The next one is chapter. Anything else in that chapter that's being talked about will help you get more understanding. The next thing outside of the chapter is anything else in that book. Like if you're studying the book of Corinthians, is there anything else in Corinthians that relates to this? That's good. What's the next layer? Well, if you want to do some more study, more background, now you're going to try and look at other writings by the same author. So if Paul wrote Corinthians, well, did Paul say something about this in anything else that he wrote? Other letters, other writings. You know, check that out. The next layer, what about the whole New Testament or Old Testament, whatever testament you're in? Is there anything else in the other testament, other books that talk about it? And the final layer is anything else in the rest of the Bible, the other testament that we haven't studied. And that's a pretty thorough study, isn't it? Now, you don't necessarily have to do that for all these things, but when there's a place where you're like, I'm not quite sure what's going on, you just start peeling back layer by layer, and it's going to make sense. I'm going to give you a quick example of this. You ready? Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to let you see how this really works in, with a real verse. And I'm going to fly through this pretty quick. We're not going to belabor this at all. So you're going to have to kind of flip kind of quick. But this is so famous. You're going to hear this quote all the time. You'll even, you could finish the sentence once I start saying it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. You don't have a Bible? Just finish the sentence. Do not judge or you too will be... Oh, well, wow, we all know that verse. We hear that verse all the time, don't we? Well, what does that mean? Is Jesus saying that truth is relative? You can't say what's right and wrong. You can't judge me. You can't judge that. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying that you can never hold somebody accountable for what they do? Don't judge them. I'm God, I judge. You can't do any of that. Is that what God's saying? Well, we don't know until you get more of the context. What's going on here? So if you read... The first thing is what? You check the sentence, then you check the paragraph. The sentence isn't helping us out much. Is there anything else in the paragraph that helps us out? Well, if you looked a little farther in Matthew 7 at verse 5, it gives a little insight. It's, it's talking about 
uh, in the same way you judge the people, they're gonna, you'll be judged. But it says, verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Huh. So there is a place I can be dealing with that, but there's a right order in which I'd have to go towards it. So we know, even just from the paragraph, it cannot mean that you can't hold someone accountable for their actions. That paragraph's demonstrating that. You see that? Well, does the chapter back that up or anything else? Well, if you look at the rest of the chapter, um, like verse 16, verse 20, Jesus is talking about the teachers of the law, that, and he is saying you've got to watch out for them, and you even have to judge them. Verse 16, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them. By the good things or the bad things they're doing. The moral things or the evil things that they're doing. And verse 20 backs that up. So even the chapter backs the fact up that we are supposed to watch people's actions and hold them accountable for those things. Especially believers. That's the, that's the concept here. Well, does the rest of the book um, of Matthew talk about this? Well, yeah, Jesus even goes in Matthew 23. You don't need to turn there. But in 23, he again goes after the teachers of the law for the wrong things that they're doing, holding them accountable for it. Well, is there anywhere else in the New Testament that also says this? Yes, there is. Uh, we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be going there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It talks about um, there's, a, there's a guy who is living with a stepmom and sleeping with her. And Paul's like, huh, that can't be going on. You have got to hold people accountable who are believers. Um, in fact, it goes on to say that um, you, know, you shouldn't even be eating with them if they're choosing not to walk away from them. It's basically saying you shouldn't even be hanging out if they don't want to turn away from this stuff. So obviously, are you, are you catching to see when Jesus says, do not judge, or don't judge, or you're going to be judged? Uh, we can't, uh, it's not necessarily dependent on everything he was intending behind that, but we definitely know what he was not saying. It's not saying you can't hold someone accountable. Um, it's not saying that we're, we can't observe actions and have to make some kind of judgment for believers. We know that from the text. So do you see how context uh, what does it say? What does it mean? And you start doing this, how it really helps you unpack it a little bit. All of you can do this. Um, in the places it's a little fuzzy or you're like, man, it could mean this or that. Um, I'm just very careful that if it's not really clear in Scripture, we shouldn't be really necessarily hard on it. Because there's certain things Scripture just locked dead on. We don't dev- deviate from that. But sometimes there could be some nuances, so you might have that. And a good translation will leave some of the nuances in there. So get some commentaries, check that stuff out. What's the first question? What does it say? Good, that's observation. Second question, what does it mean? Interpretation. And before we go on to the third one, I just put some quick questions down there to help you figure out this, this interpretation more. So I'm just going to list these off real quick. So if you have an outline, you can write these down. Uh, so when you're trying to see what this thing is meaning or saying, first question is, what's the background? The city. What was the city like they're living in? Do you know any information about that? Uh, what are the problems that we're known going on? If it talks about persecution, well, who was doing the persecuting? Was it Nero? Well, what was Nero doing at the time? The more you can read some even outside stuff, that'll help you give some insight. It's really helpful. So, that's, what's the background? The second question is, what's the context? We just did that, so you have tools for that. The next one, are there any key words? Uh, that market transition... A clause, like for example, um, there's a scripture that says, you will seek me and find me if 
you seek me with all your heart. So you don't just quote the first half, you'll seek me and find me. No, 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 not everybody will. If you seek me with all your heart. So as you go through, you want to look for key words. Number four, what is the plain natural meaning of the text? Plain natural meaning. Every word in the Bible isn't a picture of something hidden or secret. It's just not. The Bible was written straightforward. So be careful of trying to read things in there that was never meant to be in there. We've just got to be really careful with that stuff. Um, I had a great Bible teacher. His name was Dr. Mitchell, and he had this great phrase. I love it. it it's really practical. He said, if plain sense makes good sense, take no other sense, because the other sense is usually nonsense. Uh, it's a great phrase. And that's true, because a lot of times, for example, in parables, uh, it's a little story. Jesus would use them all the time. Parables are trying to get across one main point. But sometimes people have taken, Christians, well-meaning, have taken, well, uh, this soil means this, this means this, this person is a reference to this person, this one's a reference to Israel. What? Okay, it's not clear in the Bible that that's what it is. You've got to be careful about doing that stuff. So be really careful as you go through there. Number five. Except, let me just say an exception to that. You know, when the Bible is obviously being symbolic, it's symbolic. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, is he saying he's a grape? No. Um, uh, you're the light of the world. You're not physically glowing as you leave. The Bible uses symbolic language, right? So just like any other literature, you're going to follow the same rules of that literature as you read the Bible. Fifth question. Are, other pas- are there other passages that might help me to understand this one? Now, we kind of did that, you see, with the context. Wasn't that helpful? And you could use those cross-references we talked about in the study Bible. What's another way to do it? Like, you know, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Four books on the same story. Does that seem weird? It shouldn't. It's like having four photo albums. Some are going to have little different angles on it. That's why sometimes one of them will have a story where Jesus said this. Well, another of them might say, well, Jesus said this, and you're getting more of a full picture of what was going on. So you can kind of use them to figure out more things. And the Bible does that in several places, not just the Gospels. So other passages might help out, and you can even do little word studies. Sixth question. What do other respected people think? These would be people who study this for their life. That's why these commentators can be really, uh, commentaries can be really helpful, especially in difficult places. Um, and just be careful. If you think you've come up with a new thought, new idea, that nobody has found in 2,000 years, yeah, you're probably wrong. So... Just be careful. If you ever think you've come up with this new thing, be really slow to be standing on that thing <laughs> because there's a good chance you're wrong. So what does it, first question, what does it say? What is, second question, what does it mean? Now the third question, what is God saying to me? Now is the application. Now is the center of the Cinnabon. Mm, here we go. What's God saying to me? I love what D.L. Moody said, um, because it gets the heart of this. I'm going to read this quote because there's a temptation when you start doing this stuff. It's kind of some people like this, and I can get like this too. The little nerdy side of you comes out, and you want to find all these little nuances, find this stuff, and it it could be a fun study. We don't want to be Bible nerds, okay? Uh, Who cares if you know the middle verse of the Old Testament? Really? Uh, Is that changing a life, my life? So if you like doing that stuff, but we don't tout. Uh, Just because we know something in there, we have all this knowledge. The Bible was not given just to have knowledge about it. The Bible gives knowledge so that we can act on it and have a closer relationship to the Lord, allow him to do what he wants in us so that we can live our life for him and impact the world. There's purpose in it. D.L. Moody said this, The Bible 
wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. And isn't that true? How often do we want to come to it? Because we want some life change. So this section is really to help out with that. Jesus said, you've got to be careful. Um, 13, 17. Once you know these truths, you'll be blessed if, there's one of those key phrases, if you do them. The Bible only works when it's put into practice. This is a big deal. Um, in fact, in uh, Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about this. Uh, we aren't going to turn there. It's basically like the dimmer switch principle. On a dimmer switch, you'll get more light when you go up, less light when it goes down. When Jesus, or Jesus says here, is if you hear all this stuff but you don't do it, your dimmer switch is going to start going down. You're going to get less and less when you read the Bible. Some people say, well, I don't get anything when I read the Bible. Well, maybe you better check to see if you're really putting into practice something he's already told you. If you're not even doing that, why is he going to give you more? Does that make sense? So he also says, now, when you start doing these things, basically you'll be getting more. The dimmer switch comes on more and more. So if you just read it for head knowledge and you want to avoid the things he's saying that, like, ooh, that's convicting, well, you're not getting anything else until you act on that. Big deal. So how do, you, how do we apply this, this stuff? Well, when you read through the Bible, pay attention to little times that you go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a good thought. Well, I never heard of, I thought of that before. The Holy Spirit's going to probably be highlighting things for you that someone else might not be getting as much, but pay attention to the little ahas for you. That's what I try to pay attention to when I read the Bible. And I'm doing my own personal time because that may be the thing God wants me to hold on to at that moment or to show me, or speak to me, or convict me of, or whatever. Here's some questions. You'll see that list right there. I'm going to list these things off. These are great application questions. How to put into practice what you've been reading. You ready? Real simple. As you read through the text, is there a sin to confess? A sin to confess. Secondly, is there a promise to claim? As you're reading through there, if there's a sin, the Bible's talking about complaining. Am I a complainer? Lord, is there something you want me to catch right now? I'm going to sit quietly, Lord, and just bring to my mind things that you want brought to my mind because I don't want to read through this and act like I've got it all together. So show me, Lord. See how that works out? Uh, Is there a promise to claim? Uh, So as you read through that one, Lord, is this a promise? Have I ever prayed this? Have I ever really stood on this? Maybe you're, uh, you, uh, you're realizing you're, you see a scripture that says the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. Lord, I know that's your promise, and I've been acting like it's not true. So forgive me, Lord. Today I'm just going to say I'm going to walk in faith and claim the fact that you never leave those you've called and loved. And I'll hold on to that today. That's application. You see how that works? An example to follow. Is there an example? Is it the example of Jesus? Maybe it's the example of Paul or one of the disciples. And just know, just because there's an example in the Bible doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. Some are bad examples given for bad, you know, learn from the bad example. So I've seen people do this a lot. Well, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, I don't even need to go into it. But the idea of there's a negative example, just be smart. Put your hat on, your thinking cap on when you go to this stuff. Fourth, is there a command to obey? God says do it. Think about it. Uh, Number five, is there a reason to worship? Maybe that's your application and response. Maybe it's one of those 
parts of the Bible it's talking about a lot who God is. No specific commands or anything. Maybe you're supposed to just stop and think about it. Maybe you're just supposed to worship. Maybe you're supposed to just put some CD on and just get lost in the Lord. Maybe you're just supposed to say, thank you, God. It says, your love endures forever. And just dwell on that. Lord, nothing endures forever apart from you. I thank you that no matter what's falling apart in my life, your love endures forever. Father, I worship you today for that. I thank you for it. Do you see how that works? Reason to worship. A prayer to pray. You know, some of the books of the Bible have great examples of prayers at the very beginning, like Colossians, Philippians. Um, There's several of them. Great examples of prayers. Number seven, is there an error to avoid? Um, Remember the disciples in the boat? The storm comes up. What were they doing? Freaking out, like we probably would. And what's Jesus reprimand them for? I'm in the boat. You're okay. Where's your faith? So even in that, is there an error to avoid? Lord, where am I not trusting you with my faith? Where am I going wrong? See how these questions can help guide you? A condition to meet. Is there a condition to meet? I gave you an example before. You will seek me and find me if you seek me with all your heart. See how that works? Look for those. And the last one, maybe there's an attitude to change. An attitude to change. Um... 1 Corinthians, you're going to be studying that. 13, love is patient. Oh boy, we can just sit on that one for a long time. Can't you? Um, Lord, I've not been patient in my attitude at all. Even if I've not been showing it, I'm holding it. I'm yelling at people in my mind. I'm acting out in my brain. Lord, make me patient. Um, I'm just convinced as you guys, do you guys, do you see, don't you feel like you can do this? What are the three questions? What does it say? Secondly, what does it mean? And what is God saying to me? And those little questions will help guide you as you go through it. Um, It'll change your life forever. Um, Your relationship with God will take off in new ways. The Bible wasn't meant to sit on your shelf. It was meant to be used. And it's meant for all of you. So you're not, it's not above you. It's not beyond you. It is for you. And so i just like to pray and ask God's blessing on all of us as we study it. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to wonder who you are or what to stand on or what to believe. And our feelings go all over the place. Our emotions go all over the place. Our experiences are up and down. But thank you that the word of God stands forever. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by you. And it's profitable, it's helpful for teaching and correction, training and righteousness. Lord, that's what we want. We want this stuff, Lord. So would you bless every person? Would you guide them as they study? And don't ever let us come there with our hearts turned off and the dimmer switch going down because we are not tuned into you. Lord, we want to connect with you through your word. And so I just pray you'd honor and bless everyone who practices that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you leave here today, I hope you apply what you've got, you know, To apply something, it's got to be practical and provable, you know. So if you go, I'll study the Bible sometime. Think of how you want to do that. I don't care if it's just one day a week. Say, I'll just try this on Sunday afternoons. I'm going to sit a little time aside. I'm going to start practicing this. You'll get better at it as it goes on. It'll become more natural. A lot of this stuff even happens simultaneously, those three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What's God saying to me? 
They'll start intertwining so it won't feel as rigid and all that stuff. It becomes much more natural. I want to point out one uh, church that did a great job with this. In fact, they've been remembered for all time. It's a church in Berea. It's in Acts 17, verse 11. And it says, they received his message eagerly. The people were teaching the word of God. Received it eagerly. And they studied the scriptures every day. What a powerful example. Um, honestly, a lot of churches, a lot of people in churches are so intimidated by the Bible, they don't know how to approach it, so they avoid it and they don't do it. You guys have enough tools now, even if you've never done this before, to begin opening it up and doing it. And God's going to bless you for it. So I hope you enjoy it. And we're going to begin studying the book of 1 Corinthians together starting next week. So I hope to see you back. God bless you guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.